who was stoned or the woman taken in adultery, John 8, who they wanted to stone. We're going to share with you a little bit later on why you have those stones. But it's so good to see you a week after Easter. It was a wonderful celebration, and here we are together again. So to launch today's sermon, I wrote a little poem. It was the Sunday after Easter, and all through the church, the people were back on their favorite perch. Not quite as many as the Sunday before, but still a large crowd had come through the door. The people were friendly and ready to sing, the guys looking good, the girls in their bling, Nathan and Chris up leading the pack to pull us together along the same track. When what to our wondering eyes should appear, Pastor Al with his Bible and heart so sincere, to open the word so more we can know in hopes that all present continue to grow. It's back to First Peter as we open the book, to marvelous things that even angels will look. But someone please tell us what's up with these stones from Pastor Al's kidneys, someone in tones. <laughs> we'll see in the sermon just what they are for. There's a spiritual lesson just waiting in store, whether all, we're all on a journey, regardless of the weather, to continue to grow, to grow up together. So, well. <laughs> Well, we are back in 1 Peter. A couple weeks ago, we talked to the wives as they relate to their husbands, and then we talked to the husbands as they relate to their wives and to God. But you know, Peter doesn't talk to another group, a significant group that we see in our culture and churches today. It's the singles. And I just want you to know that we love singles like we love the married. And even though it is not necessarily in 1 Peter, it is a significant number. In fact, there's 93 million singles above 18 in America. And I'm sure there are many singles in this church. And we just want to know, I just want you to know we love you. And that we, we don't want you to think that you're kind of on the fringe and that this is a church only for the married. In fact, there's a lady who has a heart for prayer, Elaine Linden. And she's going to come up right now. And she's going to lead us in prayer before the throne of God for all the singles of our church. And Elaine, I'm so happy you're willing to do this. Come on up and lead us to the throne of God on behalf of these wonderful, wonderful friends of ours, those who might be single today. I just wanted to do, to do this as a disclaimer. This prayer was born out of one of the prayer nights on Wednesdays at 630. So be careful what you pray for. You might find yourself here. No. <laughs> Um, truly, though, I'd love to encourage you to come on Wednesday nights at 630 because you can really sense the heart that's beating within this church. And before I get started, we all have an idea of what single looks like. There's the conventional single. But then there's also those in the church body who find themselves single very unexpectedly through the pain and loss of divorce. And then there's those who find themselves lost in this church because of the loss of their mate and they used to come and worship with their mate. And now church is a very painful place to be. So the Lord really challenged me. I was really quiet with him over the last two days. And one of the things that he gave me is that before I go to him in prayer on, on behalf of our church body, I wanna challenge every single person in this room, I should say every individual person in this room since we're talking single, um, we all know someone in any one of those categories, and I'm sure we probably know multiple people in all of them. So I'm asking all of you here to get one person in your mind, on your heart, 
and especially lift them up now as we go to the Lord on their behalf. So would you bow with me, please? Holy Father, it is such a privilege to come before the throne of God, and in your word you say, not just to come, but to come boldly. And so, Father, on behalf of this, your church body, I am so privileged to stand here and come on behalf of the singles of our precious body here at Old North. Father, for those who are the conventional singles within our body, we know that the world has a message that is so opposite to what you say their singlehood should look like. And we just pray, Lord, that you help them to hold on, to hold on to their purity, to hold on to this time as a time to serve you in a special way, and to not grow in despair that there's not that perfect person out there that you're preparing for them even now. But Lord, let them focus on you and your plan for their life, knowing that your word is true in every way and that you have someone, if that is the desire of their heart, and that they stay in unison with you, Lord. Help them to not give up on that. Lord, for those who find themselves single because of the pain of divorce, we know that on the day that they were married, they didn't plan to find themselves in this position, Lord, but there is much evil within this world and has come up against marriage in a very strong way. So please, Lord, for those special people, we ask that you would bring healing into their hearts, Lord, that you would mend those broken places, and that they would know that they have a vital part here in this body. And Lord, finally, for those who are here single because of the loss that death has come and taken away that special person in their life, and now church is a very painful place to be at times. Lord, help us as a church body to have a heart, to look around, to see those among us, Lord, who are hurting so desperately. Help us to love them back into unity with your body and let them know that they have a special time now with the Lord to grow and to delight themselves in him now. And we ask all of this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Elaine. Appreciate that so much. Thank you. I'm going to have you stand right now and honor the reading of God, God's Word. It's an extended passage, but it is so rich. In fact, I could have a whole series out of this 12 verses alone, but I've gone to the main idea, and we'll share that in just a moment. Follow along as I read. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure sin pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. You may be seated. And isn't that powerful stuff? Well, here is the main idea that I want you to see today. It is, we need to behave like people who have received God's mercy. We need to behave like people who have received God's mercy. It's a powerful truth that we're going to look at today. And I want you to know that when we understand these things, our lives will be transformed. Now, most of what we do, and I have read this time and again, 70 to 90% of what we do is habitual. I don't know if you, if you know that, but think about it tomorrow as you live through your day. For me, it's very evident. I get up in the morning. I brush my teeth the same way. I uh, shower the same way. I shave the same way. I take my pills the same way. I, all this stuff is kind of habitual, and I go through the day. And I've discovered that the same thing is true about spiritual life. Almost everything we do is habitual. We've either learned good habits or we've learned bad habits. And somehow we've got to get on the good side of things. That we will intentionally create good, spiritual, meaningful habits that will take us through our entire life in a very good way and honor and glorify the Lord in the process. So today, I want to take you down the road of three habits that will help you live a more godly life. Because after all, isn't it the will of God, and I hope your desire, that everyone in this room would be a man of God, everyone in this room would be a woman of God, and it doesn't happen automatically. And if you don't make it intentional, you will default to bad habits. So today, three good habits that every one of us need right out of 1 Peter to help us live a more godly life. Habit number one, regularly nourish yourself in the Word of God. Regularly get into the Word of God daily. Now, look at verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. Now, this is a verse we can all relate to about little spiritual infants and physical infants as well. And the reason we can relate to it is because every one of us has been a little baby one time, right? I mean, none of you came from your mother's womb as an adult. I mean, just think about that poor mother if that would have happened. We all were babies. And what's more, most of, many of us have had children. We either had children or we're raising them right now. <clears throat> and we know something about babes. They need milk. They need formula. And so what Peter is saying is... We need to be like a baby who needs this milk. And if he doesn't get the milk, what does he do? He cries. Yeah, he screams. Have you ever been on an airliner crossing the nation when there was this screaming baby didn't get the milk? I mean, you know what that's like. And Peter is saying, you all know what babies need. You ought to be like a baby when it comes to the milk of the word. Well, it doesn't say milk of the word. 
How do you know it's the milk of the word? How do you know this is the milk? Well, first of all, you've got to take the passage in context. The verses right before the one we're talking about today is all about the word of God. But there's another principle of Bible study you need to know if you don't know it, and that is the Bible interprets the Bible. And so you have to look at the Word of God and say, are there other passages that will help me to understand this one? And lo and behold, there are at least a half a dozen other verses in the New Testament that identify the Word of God as milk. The milk of the Word. And Peter is saying, this is what we need to be nourished on. This is something we have to get into our system. Now, he doesn't talk about just any milk. He talks about pure milk. And I think pure milk is so essential. For instance, one night I decided to get some cereal before I went to bed, a little bedtime snack. Anybody ever go for the cereal before bedtime? And I get the cereal and I pour it in there and there's the milk. Oh, what is that? It is sour milk. Unpure milk is not a good idea, whether it be your cereal or the Word of God. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of people out there who aren't preaching the pure milk. They're watering it down. They're tampering with it, whether it be from the pulpits of our church or in the books and so forth. And Peter is one of those guys who said, watch out for the end times because they're going to want to deliver you unpure milk. Peter says, you've got to drink in the pure milk. And by the way, I am so glad that we're drinking in milk together as a church. E100. E100, we're all drinking the same milk at the same time in the same week. And if you wonder what we should be drinking this week from the milk of God, just go to the compass. Every week in the compass, it tells you where we should be in the drinking of that milk. Now, there are some things that can take away our appetite for this milk. And Peter talks about one of them. It's how we treat other people. Do you know if we don't treat other people well, if we treat them in a nasty way, it's going to curb our appetite. We won't won't want the milk. There's a relationship between how we treat people and our appetite. And so as we look at verse 1, Peter tells us that if we go into the nasty ways of treating people and don't lay that aside, we're not going to want the milk. And so in verse 1, it gives us a little starter list of how we can treat people in the wrong way. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. And you see what he says? Remove that stuff so that you can drink. And if you don't remove that stuff, you're not going to want to drink of the Word of God and you will not be nourished. Well, what is this nourishment going to do for you? It says in verse 2 that you will grow up to salvation. And what does that mean? I want you to know in the Bible that salvation isn't just a free pass out of hell into heaven. And then that's it. Salvation in the Bible is not only finding the Lord and having your sins forgiven and leaving hell to go to heaven, but it also means the growing up process where you become more and more like Christ and less and less like the devil. And so salvation is being delivered from yourself and from your own wrong passions and the sin of your life so that someday when we see him, we'll be like him because he's done all this saving throughout our life. And what Peter is saying here, if you are willing to treat people well and get into the Word of God and nourish yourself, you are going to come to full spiritual maturity. That's what this is about, full spiritual development, and you need the Word of God every day as milk. 
Now, don't think that there's going to come a time like babies that they'll outgrow milk and formula. That's not Peter's point at all. He's not talking about getting so mature that you don't need the milk anymore. He's talking about the strength of your appetite. Like a baby who cries for the milk when she's, or he's thirsty and hungry, you, all of your life, will cry for the Word of God that you need it for nourishment. And it has to be a habit. Every day, nourishing in the Word of God. What a wonderful way to grow. Habit number two, to become more godly. Practice your priestly duties as your primary spiritual ministry. I think you're going to like where this is going. Most of you know, if you hang around Old North Church long enough, know that we'd like everyone to know your spiritual gift and to use it. But I want you to know there's a higher level than using your spiritual gifts. It's ministering to God himself. In using the spiritual gifts, we minister to one another in the power of the Spirit. In this particular habit, we're ministering to God. And Peter is talking about this number one ministry every single born-again person needs to have. And here it is in verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. My friends, if you are a Christian, your number one ministry is to minister to God himself every day, spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to him. Now, maybe you've noticed the prominent metaphor in here. It's the stone. And that's why I'm giving everyone a stone. And I'll explain a little bit more about this later on. But what do you think was in Peter's mind as the Lord was giving him this revelation about stones? Could it be that he was thinking about Matthew 16 when the Lord looked to his disciples and said, whom do people say that I am? And they said, well, this and that and this and that. And then he said, well, who do you say I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he responded, and then the Lord said, upon this rock, Peter, you are a little stone, but upon this big stone, the rock, I will build my church. Now, I believe that this 1 Peter 2 part is a commentary on Matthew 16 to help us understand that Peter wasn't the big stone. It was Christ the big stone. And as you go through this, what you see is that Peter doesn't point to himself at all about being a stone. He points to Christ as the big stone, the cornerstone, the chief stone, the special stone. And then we find out that not everybody felt that way about the stone. In verse 4, some rejected the stone. Verse 8, it was a stone of stumbling. It was a rock of offense. The Jews had rejected him. In other words, it was the intention of God to make this new spiritual house out of the Jews, and they rejected. So the Lord said, I'm going to build another house. It's going to be called the church with new stones and new priests. And verse 4 says that those who come to Christ, those who accept him, an amazing thing happens. Verse 5, they become living stones that God will use to build a new temple and a new priesthood. So let me ask you, how many of you have ever heard of a living stone? It's an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a living stone. 
but God is building a new temple, a new spiritual house with people stones and people are living and when you become born again of the Spirit of God, you have been made alive unto Christ and you have been made a spiritual stone and put in the new spiritual temple and we have all become priests of the Most High God. It's an amazing thing. It is so unlike the arrangement of the Old Testament. The priesthood, on behalf of everyone, would do their duties in a temple made out of inanimate stones. In the new way, we're all priests and we're all living stones who minister to God. Now, how do we minister to God as priests? Oh, there are so many ways we can do that that the New Testament tells us. I'm going to give you a sampling of how it is that we minister to God sacrifices acceptable unto him in verse 5. Number one, when we use our bodies for righteousness and not sin, we offer up a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God. Romans 12, 1, is that, do you recall that one? So appropriate. The second way is when we tell God with a sincere heart how great he is and how much we love him, we minister to him, verse 9. And number three, when we do good deeds for others and share with others our earthly goods, we offer up a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God. Hebrews 13, 16. We all minister that way. And on and on, the ideas how to minister to God himself. But notice something. These spiritual sacrifices that we're talking about aren't the things you do in church when you get here for an hour or so. These are the things you do every day. We are to minister to God every day. Every day we are on duty. We are never off duty. So, you all got these stones. Would you hold them up again? The stones. Why did I give you the stones? Number one, I wanted them to be a reminder to you that if you've come to know Jesus Christ, you are a living stone. And that you have been placed by God in this spiritual house, this new temple. And that every one of us, a living stone in the temple of God, is a minister to God himself, every one of us. I don't want you to forget that. So you have got a stone. I want you to remember that as a very important thing. And by the way, I want you to know that God is not done building his house yet. Every time someone comes to Christ, there's another living stone put into the temple, and the temple is growing daily by thousands every day around the world, more and more people finding Christ, more and more people being a living stone, and more and more people ministering to the living God every day. It is so exciting to realize that. So habit number two is to realize that you are a living stone in the spiritual house or temple of God and that you have the habit of ministering a sacrifice to God every day that's acceptable to him. Isn't that great? Be in that habit. Here's habit number three. Think before you act. Verses 11 and 12. As I said, so much of our life is habit. It is not intentional Often it is mindless, and sometimes, as Christians, it isn't thinking biblically. So Peter is saying there are two areas in which you have to make sure you think before you act. Number one is how you deal with the passions of your flesh. And number two is how you live before outsiders, before unbelievers, before the unchurched. And so he's saying when it comes to these two areas of concern, you better think first and then act, not act first 
and never think or you'll probably screw up in a big way. And so I take you to the first area of concern that he flags. The strong pull of our flesh. Verse 11. The flesh is like this strong magnet within us. And it comes from our bodies that pull our bodies to gratify the desires of our bodies in ways that are not in the will of God according to the things of this earth. It's a strong magnet. It pulls so strongly the things to our life that shouldn't be there. There are times that I leave this building late at night and I push on the door and it doesn't open. And it's being secured by a magnet so strong I can't push it through. And the same thing is true about our flesh. If we don't think before we act when the flesh pulls on us, it's going to be like a strong magnet to pull us in the direction of things we should not do. And that's the reason there are so many addicts in the world about everything is because they have not learned to think first and that magnet has pulled them and they can't release and they become a slave to that passion. And Peter is saying, we've got to think before we act. And here's how he frames it. Think transient, not resident. Think transient, not resident. Verse 11, think you are a sojourner and an exile. This world is no longer your home. You're a citizen of heaven. And therefore, as a citizen of heaven, you can't live like the natives anymore. Because the natives are living for their passions. And you can't do that anymore. And the pull of the flesh keeps on begging us to do what it wants. In fact, in verse 11, Peter says, it is a war that rages in our souls to defeat us. It's a brutal war. How many of you relate to that? Do you understand this warfare? Raise your hand. Do you? Yes, it is a war. And Peter flat out tells, flat out tells us what we need to do. He tells us this world is not our home, so don't think the way the world thinks with its passions. You need to think no. You need to think no before you follow through on anything. So. Peter says it this way in verse 12. Abstain. No. When the flesh pulls on you, you've got to constantly hold your back, hold yourself back. That's what the word abstain means, to hold yourself back from something that would pull you in. Say no. So you think no first about the pull of the flesh, and then you refrain from doing it. And I've got two areas that are very practical that are so important that you need to say no to. Here's the first think no. It relates to the flesh of sexual lust. Think and then flee from all sexual lust. For most people, the strongest pull of the flesh is the lust of sexuality outside the bonds of marriage. It is a strong pull. And just saying no is not enough. The Word of God says if there's going to be anything that you do, you say no, and then you run. You get out of the way. In fact, the only thing that you are supposed to run from in the whole Bible is sexual. You can't stand there and fight it off. It is so overpowering. So my advice to the married and my advice to the single, when the lust of the flesh of sexuality comes upon you, you need to have your flea collar on. You need to get out of there. You need to run. You need to get away from that computer. You need to get away from that person. Just run or you will fall. 
for the other kinds of passions. Number two, think and then say no with an appropriate scripture. Do you know that the lust of the flesh was besieging the Lord in the temptations of Christ, Matthew 4, for instance, and the Lord knew that he was being pummeled by the lust of the flesh in three different areas, and do you know what he did? He picked up the word of God, the sword of the spirit, and he was able to defeat the passion of the flesh. I believe that every one of you knows what your temptations are in the flesh. You know what you need to do? On those temptations, you need to memorize a verse or two of scripture. And when that temptation comes, you need to pull out the sword of the spirit and start using that thing and then call somebody on the phone and say, hey, I'm in a battle here. I've got the word. I'm coming against it. You stand with me. You're going to have amazing victories. You really will. So Peter would say, you think first, no, and then you hold yourself back in the power of the spirit. The second area of concern flagged by Peter is not just the passions to take us down. It's the realm of our testimony in front of unbelievers. And so in verse 12, he tells us how to live before the natives, how to think so that we won't mess up our testimony. And here's how he tells us to think. Think testimony and not selfishly. Think testimony, not selfishly. Think about what impact you're going to have, not about, I just want to do this thing, I don't care what they think. And so here's the thing. Peter says in verse 12, keep your behavior excellent before them. Keep doing the good deeds. And verse 12 goes on and says, as they observe your behavior. And this word observe is a time period. It's not a snapshot. It's a time exposure. And the people who don't know the Lord, my friends, if you don't know it, are watching you. Whether they like you or not, if you call yourself a Christian, they are watching to see what you do, how you conduct yourselves. They're watching what you do. And so you've got to be very careful about how you live. I know a lady that worked in a bank. She was a teller for a drive through One of the people from the church that I was with in Erie went through the drive through He got into an argument with a teller, and he really went off on her and used some bad language. And that lady found me a little bit later on. She said, you know what? I don't go to church, and that's one of the reasons I don't is because the guy from your church went through my teller window, and this is what happened. Think testimony, not selfishly. I have somebody in my family who is very, very dear to me who does not go to church. And this is what she will say to me. Why should I go to church when some of your leaders will join me in the bar? And they will drink and get drunk and do things they shouldn't do, and then they go back in church and act like a saint. I don't need that. Think testimony. Don't think selfishly. Now, none of us is perfect. But we've got to watch our behavior in front of the world so that number 12 verse can happen, and that is that be able to glorify God because of us. Friends, when we understand the mercy that we have been given, that God has redeemed us from hell and brought us into heaven through forgiveness, then we're going to be in a pursuit to live a holy life. We're going to want to get those habits that will lead to a godly life that you see on the screen that I talked about today. So, what are you going to do with these stones? You are going to take these stones 
and you are going to put them in a prominent place. Your kitchen counter, your bathroom counter, your office desk, your machine at the, the job. I don't know where, but you're going to put it there for the foreseeable future. And every time you see this stone, you're going to think, I am a living stone in the spiritual temple of God. And every day I am going to minister to the most high God. Somebody say amen. amen. This is who we are. Let this represent the reality of our position before God. And for the foreseeable future, be sure you understand what you are doing. And I just want to say this as I close. If you've never come to Christ, he's waiting for you. Because he's not done, as I said, building his church, his temple. And every time somebody comes to faith, God turns that inanimate stone, as it were, into a living stone, and they become a son or daughter of God. Placed in the spiritual temple of God, another one, to do his bidding and to minister to him every day. Well, Chris, I think this is worthy of a song to praise him, that God has done this for us. What do you think? Here we go, church. Would you stand?